So they need a scope of work of what you want done. And, you know, con it could be any contract whose license are insured. It's better if you have one that has an understanding of the 203K loan because they know the criteria they want. Perfect. But basically, they're going to take that scope. So your purchase price and their scope needs to be within their lending criteria. I believe FHA will allow, will lend 110%. All right, welcome to the How to Fix Podcast. We talk about average people that have done above average things in the world of real estate. Um, so today's sponsor is House Rich, the uh, brand right here. So it's the official brand of home ownership. So uh, click the link in my bio or it'll be in the uh, description to this uh, show and um, purchase some merch. So uh, today's guest, we got uh, Kadeem Howe. He's a uh, physical therapist. But we're going to talk to him about the FHA 203K, FHA 203K program as well as his, uh, his side business or side hustle as well. So um. You go introduce yourself to the uh, to the good folks. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Kadeem Howell, uh, aka Doctor Deem on Instagram, and um, so yeah, you know, Dave connected me on Instagram. You know, he seen me do a couple of side hustles, vending machines, trading yeah. stocks, crypto, and uh, most recently, um, I just purchased a an, a home using FHA, the two hundred three k program. So I'm really excited about today's episode. We're going to dive in a little deep on how it works from start to, I'm almost at the end, so start to almost finish all right. and all the hurdles with that. Okay, awesome. So I call it like the FHA 203K program, kind of like the best loan program no one's even heard of. I was a loan officer, I think, for two years before I even heard of the program. So like, how did you even hear about the program to begin with? Um, Good question. Um, So I'm sure you guys probably heard of MG, the mortgage guy, uh, yes, Matt yeah. Garland. Yeah, he was my mortgage lender. and um, he talked about it briefly. I've heard him at a seminar about two years ago. And I was like, oh, because everyone knows 203K, house hack, you know, 3.5% down. Yeah. And then you add the construction on top of that. I was like, oh, okay, that could be kind of powerful. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I reached out to Matt and, um, you know, he's like, oh, you know, you know, basically sign up, you know, check your credit score and everything as, you know, as a client. Um, to use them as a lender and he was just dropping you know little bombs here and there about how the 203k program is going to work um, from the lender side okay and you know and there's there's a lot that goes into it he's really knowledgeable and you know if anyone who's ever decided to go this route you need to find a lender that knows how to do this program yeah. like don't don't even second guess it yeah that, that's great because like I said I, I consider myself very knowledgeable in the field of lending but I really don't know anything about the FHA 203K program. <laughs> and I've been in the business for six years. Like I said, I've seen a couple of Matt's videos um, for the FHA 203K program and actually download or actually purchase his, uh, his renovation guide. I've not looked at it yet. So we had, yeah, definitely a resource of uh, information there. So do you talk a little bit about actually going through the home buying process just in general? Like, is this your first home? So this is my first primary residence. Okay. Um, I did, you know, I did purchase a duplex once that I ended up flipping. You know, okay. I wanted to wanted to buy and hold, but the money was there, so I sold it um, in 2019, like pre-pandemic. And then we purchased this home. We went in contract 2020, purchased in 2021. Um, and you know, where I live in Westchester County, New York, it's real expensive here. I mean, okay. taxes are high, real estate prices are high. Um, there are multifamilies, like you know, where I live. A lot of people are like, why don't you just buy a multifamily? The problem is these multifamilies don't cash flow. Okay. Um, and what I mean by cash flow, like even if, say, if I bought a three-family here using the FHA program, 
even if I moved out, it wouldn't cover the mortgage. Okay. Because the taxes, you know, tax in some of these two, three families where I live could be up from 20 to 30K in taxes. Like, no shot of, yeah, of so, cash like, what, flow. What price range are we talking about? Um, right now, like, say, like a three family in my neighborhood, you're looking at 750. Okay. Um, you know, 800, and you're probably renting about 2K in apartment. Now you tap on 20K in property taxes. You're probably, you're going to be living um, not mortgage free, but just like, you know, a lower cost of living, but in some yeah. of these homes and these are old housing stocks, they need a lot of renovation. I'm just like, okay, so there's, I mean, unless you find that one dime in the rough, but there's yeah. a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uh, New York city buyers buying the real deals. And honestly on paper, they don't really pan out that well okay. as, as like a deal because they end up just getting reassessed. Like a lot of these counties, like, you know, yeah, you buy something, you fix it up, but the tax man come is going to hit you that reassessment. Now you got 30 K, uh-huh. In taxes, you sure. went from like 15 to 20. You're like, oh, now I'm not cash flowing anymore. So, you know, we wanted to live in this area. And I was like, okay, well, one play we knew we could do is, you know, if we buy, you know, a real fixer up, I'm not talking about like a, uh-huh. like a click, a real home run deal. Okay. You know, as a primary residence, refi, you know, if, you know, do, if the spread is there, kind of like yeah. you're doing a traditional flip, either, you know, we could either sell for a profit or refi, refi and roll into like another investment property in like say down South or the Midwest where it makes sense. Yeah, that's what I always tell folks. I mean, one good thing about the FHA two or 3K program is you can literally buy, you know, the worst house in the in the best neighborhood and then, you know, get those, put those renovations in and then build that equity, which I, I don't know if you bought the worst house, but you know, it gives you the opportunity to at least um, do that. Um, like can you, can you take it from like you, from applying to the, for the loan to actually, like finding a home, kind of how that process went? And did you go into the process with the idea of using the 203K or did that kind of come along as you were looking for homes? Um, It was always in the back of our mind. So when we got pre-approved with Matt, you know, it's not like you need a separate pre-approval. It's a similar pre-approval for an FHA loan. Uh-huh. You know, um, I don't know the top of my head, the minimum credit score is like it's 580, the minimum credit score. Yeah, yeah, for. so yeah, five, 580, yeah, three and a half percent down. And then technically so it's, it, uh, 10% down, but yeah. So yeah, it's basically the same, you know, criteria for the most part as if you're just going to get a regular FHA loan. But, um, you know, when you add the rehab component to it, like I was saying, the housing stock where we are is very, you know, it's very old. So okay. a lot of people didn't do upgraded windows, upgraded electrical, upgraded plumbing. So like you'll pay like half a mil, 600K for a house that some people are okay with living with. And then it's like, you know, you're going to run into some major CapEx expenses. I was like, okay, so if we're going to do this route, I'd rather yeah, use a, for, you know. For, sorry, for the folks that don't know, what, what's that CapEx expense? So cap, capital expenditures, those are like the big improvements of a home. You know, you think heating, mm-hmm. you know, your boiler system, your furnace, your plumbing, you know, um, your electrical system, your electrical box, you know, your electric panel that we had to change because ours is very flammable. So okay. a lot of people uh, in this area, they don't want to fix up their old homes. Homes catch on fire, lose their homes. Like it happens all the time, guaranteed. And I live in New York. So in the wintertime, you know, a lot of people run space heaters, Christmas lights, boom, electrical fuse, house burns down. It happens like clockwork in this area. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that's why we went into thinking, okay, let's do the renovation loan. If we can find a deal, we weren't using this loan to buy something that's retail. Like we wanted to find the true, you know, off market or distressed uh, property. Okay. Um, 
But what we noticed that a lot of them wanted cash only. Yeah. Now, the thing with 203K is you can use, you could use the, um, the, re, the, the, the money to rehab the house can be wrapped into the mortgage. Okay. So it's like, yeah, say if the house has a you know, busted roof, you know, some, some squatters came and took all the pipes out, you know, you'll, you'll have a two or three, you'll get an inspection to see the condition of the house and you're going to get an appraisal for the two or three K and they'll even tell you if this is house is even lendable. Okay. Because if you try to take a traditional uh, conventional mortgage or FHA mortgage, they're going to be like, oh, the house has to be you yeah. know, livable, a livable standard. But with a 203K loan, it doesn't have to be on onset. But when you, when you get a contractor bid of the items that you need to hit, uh-huh. they need to make sure that the house is going to be livable. And I think they want to make sure it's safe, livable. And um, I think there's one more criteria they look for. Okay. With the two or three K, like if you're going to do the construction and do the rehab to make sure that it's a lendable property. Okay. So I was like, so we knew that if we found something, you know, we need one, the price has to be, you know, low enough that if we don't put in these renovations, if we were to refinance or, you know, sell for a profit, that there will be a margin there. And FHA wants to know that too, because they're not just going to lend on anyone who wants to just, you know, build an addition on their house yeah, unnecessarily yeah. you know what i'm saying like they want to make sure that it will appraise a properly compared to comps yeah so all, all that in mind you know we kind of we kind of just went shopping you know we shot a lot of offers and um you know we got beat out by a lot of people because because of the pandemic yeah you know a lot of people wanted to leave new york city and like go to the outer boroughs of new york city so right. like where i live you know there's a few like the tri-state area connecticut new jersey and really wanted to be competitive. So we went against the grain and kind of went the off-market route. Okay. So can you talk about how the, the actual process works? So you you get pre-qualified, then you find a home. And then so once you find a home, like do you get an inspection before or after after the offer? When does that like, because uh, I know there's like a process part with that, like the like said, the inspector or like an, an FHA 203 uh, evaluator comes through. Like what what is that actual process? look like so so yeah so how the process worked um we found the house so we found an off-market house in our area and essentially we right away we also had a contractor with us because a contract is one of the key components of this of this whole deal from the beginning to end yeah um so they need a scope of work of what you want done and you know, con- it could be any contract who's licensed or insured. It's better if you have one that has an understanding of the 203K loan because they know the criteria they want. Okay. But basically, they're going to take that scope. So your purchase price and their scope needs to be within their lending criteria. I believe FHA will allow, will lend 110% okay. above the appraised value uh, in terms of like adding the rehab cost of the new appraised value. Um, so then once you do like, an accepted offer, you know, inspection isn't required more so, you know, inspections more to protect yourself, you know, just like any standard house buying process. Uh But basically now they're going to get an appraisal. Now the appraisal is one of the first initial steps after accepted offer because your loan officer or your bank you're going with, they want to make sure that the purchase price and the estimated rehab costs are going to fit with that after repair value. Okay. You know, you can choose an as-is value, but what they care about is that after repair yeah. value, you know, the, the estimated appraisal, because they want to make sure that they're lending to a house that's lendable. 
because you don't want to be underwater where you know you bought a house or it's 500k you did 200k work but it's only worth four you know what i'm saying like yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you know you're underwater from day one so they're going to make sure that's within their lending criteria and each lender i know has a different variance of what they accept okay but um i believe for us it was like 110 percent above the new appraised value okay. is what they're going to lend they're going to lend to you know okay. so it's either you know if you want to do more work it's either you bring more money to the table you know we chose a three and a half percent down like most fha buyers so we knew where our maximum loan loan limit was going to be in the house. We didn't hit the maximum, but okay. we wanted to do enough just to get, you know, just to get in and make the house complete. You know, we, you know, you could do something like once you do the basics, you can add in a pool if you want to, you know, you can right. add all this other crazy stuff. I mean, that's on you, you know, whether or not you think it's going to truly add value, but we stuck to the true value points in the house. And then once you have all that lined up from your contractor, you know, the scope of your contractor, how much it's going to cost. Um, you know, whatever, you know, how much you're going to put down for financing, then they're going to, you know, they're going to put you to underwriting multiple times. I mean, okay. nonstop. I just oh, felt right. like, didn't, didn't, didn't they run the numbers already? I think they ran the numbers on the project, like, like five or, you know, five or seven times. And I was uh -huh. just like, oh boy. But they just want to make sure because it's risky yeah. for them. So how, how'd you actually go about finding your contractor? Um, so good question. Um, I just, um, I spoke to, uh, actually, this was from a family friend, our first contractor. <laughs> so our first contract was through a family friend uh, who was familiar with the 203K loan process. So it was kind of easy because like he knew how it works. He knew how construction draws were going to go. And construction draws are basically how the contractor gets paid. Okay. So once a contractor makes a scope of work, now... With 203K, there's two loans. There's a 203K streamline and there's two the regular 203K. Okay. So now with the 203K streamline, it's up to 35K of renovations does not need what's called the HUD consultant. Okay. So the HUD consultant, in my opinion, is the second or maybe the tied with the contract is the most important person of this process. All right. So if you go above that 35K threshold, the HUD consultant, he's basically working on behalf of the bank. Okay. So he looks at the contractor's bid, even before even before closing, he wants to make sure it makes sense. He's like, okay, this is does 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 like say he says a kitchen, right? If the contractor says fifty k for a kitchen, but he sees that like he's really doing ten k worth of work, he's like, okay, that doesn't add up. Okay. So it's actually kind of nice because he's working on your side, but he's really working on the bank side. So he's kind of yeah. a middleman protecting both parties. So he'll look at the scope and make sure that it makes sense. And what he'll do is he'll break it down into pieces of how the contract is going to get paid. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. That's what I was trying to say when I kept saying the inspector, but yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's the, that's the word I was looking for there. And, um, mm -hmm. and so are you, you work with the Huggisaw now and like are your renovations, they're over, over 35 K I would assume in that area. Right. Okay. So we went with uh, about just over a hundred K like 110 K of renovations. Um, and now, so yeah, that put us in the category of our HUD consultant. So he's my main point of contact because I don't necessarily contact the bank directly okay. at all. He's the middleman. So what, the, what his job is after he made that scope of work and how he outlined how the contract is going to get paid, like he'll put demo, it's like the first draw, and it draws just how the contract gets paid. He put uh, you know, demolition, uh, plumbing, electric, half electrical. So you know, once the contractor does those things, you know, I make a phone call to him like, hey, it's time for you to take an inspection to see the contractor's work. He'll come in with his checkbook, 
mark up all the things that are completed gotcha. and then he'll send that to the bank and the bank will review what he did, his inspection with the pictures. And then once they see those line items, they'll pay out the contractor those corresponding items. Okay. So in this case, the contractor gets paid after work is done. And, you know, I know it could be a little difficult because some contractors, they expect some money like to mobilize or just to get things going or materials. So it is, it is a little tough. Sometimes like we came out of pocket just for like a little bit of materials, okay. but then the contractor compensated back once he got paid from the bank. Okay. Okay. I guess that, that makes sense. You hear like those horror stories where contractors run off with the money. So the, the bank's not going to make sure that doesn't, that doesn't happen to, to you in the first place there. Um, and so I know, so I think you, right. they need to see the work done. Yeah. So I think, you mentioned to me, you brought up to me, you're going through the FHA 203K program like a few months back. Like, when did you actually close and where are you at in the process right now? Good question. So we went, actually went on a contract almost exactly a year ago. Oh, wow. Um, okay. December 2020. And it took four months to close. We closed in April 2021. Um you know, it was a few you know, title issues that we had to resolve because we okay. bought an off-market property in our neighborhood. Um, it was just for sale by owner. Okay. And, um, you know, and how, how we stood out is because, you know, we, we didn't know the sellers per se, but they knew we were in the neighborhood. They liked us. Okay. You know, as soon as they put that, I saw them stake the for sale sign outside <laughs> their door. So it wasn't on Zillow. And I was like, I called her nonstop. I was like, yo, we want to buy this house. We want to buy this house. Uh -huh. you know, I sent them a letter. And I told them our plans for the house. So, you know, I, I kind of swooped in at a you know perfect place, you know, okay. right time. But there was a few houses that we got accepted offers on that were houses that needed work. Okay. Even though the offer said cash, you know, cash only, uh -huh. you know, we were like, oh, you know, FAJ 203K in most cases is almost just as good as cash yeah. in the sense that how lendable it is. Obviously, it's not as fast. It took me four wants to close, uh -huh. but I'd say, you know, if there weren't any title issues, we easily could have closed in like 45 days. Okay. You know, I mean, Matt's really good. Uh -huh. You know, I don't know if every, I can know if every lender is as good as Matt, but you know, some people think, oh, there's a lot of red tape. There really isn't, you know, as long as you have your contractor ready, it's not that much red tape. Um, okay. it's, it's just, it's basically just like a, a regular FHA loan, just so that contract component. But to answer your question, you know, that's how we found that house and it took us four months to close. And now, um, we're about two draws in. So our contractor, like I said, first contractor we had, we actually had to fire him. Okay. And uh, we have since hired a new contractor. And right now we're at the tail end of the project. Um, windows are in, walls are up. You know, we're just finalizing our kitchen. And now some of you are probably thinking to yourself, oh, but can you close in April? They know typically the two or three K loan takes six months to complete, which is right. I'm yes, above that six month mark. <laughs> but now what you... You know, so I was like, wait, what happened? So you're allowed to ask for extensions. Okay. Um, especially now, COVID's the perfect excuse. You know, oh, because of COVID. I mean, literally because of COVID, some things are backed up, like uh -huh. ordering cabinets, ordering certain fixtures, some materials were really like out of stock at Home Depot and Lowe's. So some things had to be, you know, as long as I show them proof, waiting for permits, because those things take time and they understand that. Okay. You know, they're not going to hold you to, oh my God, it has to be done in six months. Like, no, if you have a legit reason why, you know, like for us, we change contractors midway and that process, you know, it goes to the HUD consultant, like acts for extension that goes to the HUD consultant. I just give them a call. Hey, this is the situation. X, Y, Z is okay. 
So he gives me a change order slip. It's a HUD change order. And that goes to him. And then that goes directly to the bank. And okay. you know, they'll approve it or deny it. Okay. And are you currently living in the property or are you living somewhere else right now? No, currently I'm I actually, the house that we bought is probably like around the corner. I live with my in-laws. So okay. <laughs> I literally could look out my window and my, my contractor's there right now. It's, it's like 7.30 New York time. And he's still working at the house this okay. late. Um, but yeah, so fortunate that was close enough to us, you know, find something off market and able to like monitor it. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's where we are right now in the process. And, you know, we, our construction could easily go in to a full 12 months, Okay, uh-huh. which I don't expect it to I expect it to be done the next month, month and a half, but cause everyone knows the FHA requirement. Oh, Kadeem, don't you have to move, live in the house for at least a year? Well, yes, you know, I had every intention to live in the house within a year. And that's the one thing about the two or three K loan that, you know, it's not really an escape work around the one year requirement, but, you know, after a year, I can, I'll be eligible to refinance that house, oh, so, even though I never lived in it. So, so, the, okay. So the clock starts when you close on the loan. Exactly. Oh, okay. okay. So, not, not when the construction is when you close on the loan. I mean, I have every intention of living in the house, but you know, that same one-year requirement, I can refinance that 203k loan or because, you know, it's FHA loan. I can refinance that loan if the equity is there, which yeah. in my, in this case, we do expect a decent equity bump. Okay. And, you know, it wasn't my intention to work around the live in for one year, yeah, yeah. but, you know, God forbid, I mean, there's other excuses why you can, you know, be excluded from living in a house within that first year of the 203k. I mean, with the FHA loan and okay. the 203k, in essence, if your construction does take that long, is one of those routes. Okay. And so I know there's an option with the uh, 203K loan to like roll the um, the mortgage payments into the loan. Like, did you take that option or? So I did not. Okay. And I regret, that is my number one regret oh, uh-huh. with this, <laughs> this construction. So, I mean, I've paid, you know, paid the mortgage on time since day one, but, um, you know, it would have been nice because, you know, probably spend on about 20k in mortgage payments when i could have had that cash you know because some people could use that cash to front their contractor instead which is what it's designed for you know because okay. some contractors just need somebody to get some materials going to get a dumpster going so like instead of you doing it in you can escrow the first six months of your mortgage payments into the loan which okay. you know gives you a nice cushion um and you know you pay six months later and then you're at a decent spot you know you're not paying because for us and another reason why, because we're paying rent here. Uh-huh. So it's they, they understand that it's tough for a borrower to pay rent and a mortgage at the same yeah. time. So it kind of gives you a little reprieve. So, you know, if I ever do do this loan again, which I tend on doing, right. I'm definitely taking that six-month option. <laughs> all right, all right. And so how does that actually work? The The money goes to you or goes to the lender? What is that? How, do, who, how does... Um, how, how does the FHA make sure that you're not just taking that money and just, you know, buying a car? Do they give it to you or do they give it to somebody, somebody else? You mean the, the, the construction draws? The, the yeah, no, no, the, um, like, well, yeah, you know, when you like roll those, uh, those, I think you roll like six months of payments into the loan itself. Oh, that's, oh, that's at closing. That's at okay. closing. But you, you, yeah, so you they, get they, that, like, you get like a check for six months at closing, like directly to you? No. So they add it to the loan amount. Okay. So yeah, so yeah, you're not exchanging any money. It's un, it's in escrow at on day one and closing. 
Oh, so, okay, okay, okay. Yes, the, yeah, not, the lender just draws it. As exactly, a, exactly. Oh, okay, okay, exactly. okay. Roger, roger that. Okay. Not, not, not collecting it from your pocket for six months. So, okay. again, it would have been a nice cushion. You know, was able to survive without doing that. But if I ever did it again, I highly recommend it. Just do that. It's going to make your life a lot easier. Okay. Um, so I think we talked about. And so kind of last thing, are there any, um, do you have any, any regrets on doing the show with 3K loan? Or was it just, um, yeah, any regrets on the program? Um, none at all. Um, you know, it, it is eye-opening. There's not a lot of, you know, education. Because like you said, like as a lender, you, you knew a little bit about it. But there's some experienced lenders that have not even touched a 2K loan. Yeah, six, um, six years, never, never done it. You know, <laughs> and it, it is, there's a lot of moving parts, but, you know, if you have the proper education, like I said, you know, Matt Garland has education uh, programming outlines from start to finish. And, you know, you may be able to educate your loan officer about it and, you know, they can easily find out more. Um, it's definitely worth it. I mean, the ultimate power, I think, with it, if you could tie it into a cash flowing for family, uh-huh. You know, or a multifamily, because you can do that. You use it for multifamily, you can use it for mixed use properties. Um, that's where you could truly leverage the true power of this loan. And uh-huh. what I like about it for me, because, you know, like you said, I'm a healthcare provider and you can use FHA multiple times, just can't have two at the same time. What I want to do for my next one is I want to buy a mixed use property okay. um, to potentially open up like a, my, a practice. So, uh-huh. say if it's like a you know, a mixed unit with one commercial unit and three apartments above, you can use the renovation loans for the commercial space as well. Okay. So you could really leverage this loan. So, but, you know, for my first time doing it, I have no regrets other than rolling in the first six months okay. of um, mortgage payments into the loan, just to kind of give you that, again, that buffer, just in case, you know, some expenses um, that come up that are going to incur with your contractor, just to float him, because you are going to get it back. Um, you know, you can make sure it's in writing so he just doesn't run off with your money. But, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's house renovation or house. It's not really house flipping because FHA is not for investors, yeah. but it's house renovation with training wheels. You all know, right, all right, every, right. you know, the HUD consultant, he's like your guy. Like you could usually call them. Sometimes they have contract recommendations too. Okay. And a HUD consultant, you know, usually your lender is going to have a HUD consultant that they can refer you to because that's, that's the person they communicate with the most. They don't communicate with contractors per se, but a HUD consultant who's, you know, licensed by HUD to do, to do this work, they're more likely to be in contact with a lender. And that's your guide through this whole process. And like I said, if you want to fire a contractor, tell your HUD consultant and, you know, you'll just plug in a new contractor. All right. Okay, cool. Cool. Appreciate you like running that program. Like I said, I, I've read a little bit about it, and ironically, I, I learned some from Matt as well. I'm looking at YouTube, like I said, I bought this course. I haven't, I haven't viewed it yet, but um, yeah, wealth information. So appreciate that. Um, now we'll talk a little bit more about your kind of like your side hustle, the vending business. Um, so how'd you get into that, uh, the vending business? Good question. Um, so you know, like a lot of people now, the pandemic, and um, I was a physical therapist, and I got laid off early in the pandemic because New York City shut down you know, our clinics weren't open and I was just sitting at home like, all right, well, now what? <laughs> um, and, you know, I'd seen a few courses on vending that were floating around the internet and people were selling them, you know, machines for like pennies on a dollar. Cause like I've seen vending machines for sale in the past. I always thought about it. It'd be a cool, like passive income stream. Yeah. And I saw some people selling, you know, 
vending machines established in locations mm-hmm. for like a grand or two for like two machines. And I was like, oh, wow, that sounds like a steal. So I've seen vending machines go for like $2,000 for just the machine. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of like be greedy when others are fearful. So yeah, like the yeah. world is shutting down. It was the pandemic. So I was like, okay, so let me buy some of these routes. And they were slow, you know, because, you know, things weren't really going to open. People thought the world was going to end. Things were going to open up. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, the course I took wasn't, you know, the best of how to do things, but just to get started. Uh-huh. And I just stuck with it, you know, because I had all this free time, the pandemic, uh-huh. you know, was furloughed. And I was like, all right, let me just pick up on this. But then as New York started to open up again, I went back to work. And I was still, and I was like, okay, I can still maintain this thing on the side. Like, you know, once a week, fill up some machines, collect some money, boom, just on repeat. And now, you know, I kind of grew it to like a little small business. Okay. And it's a decent, you know, it's a decent passive income stream for me. How many machines do So right now I have 13 vending machines. Oh, wow. um, right now though, you know, some of them are need to be repaired. So I have eight that are like my full-time service machines. Uh-huh. And the reason why there's some offline, just because some of the locations I bought came with extra machines. Some of them I fixed, some of them I sold. Okay. And I don't pay any commissions at any of my locations. Okay. So for me, it's free storage. You know, so I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to have to pay a storage unit. So, you know, I say I have 13 machines, but it's really just eight machines that are, you know, full-time working for me at various locations. In the tri-state area, I have a few locations and growing. Okay. And, um, and yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty cool, you know, passive income stream for me. Um, the goal, you know, my initial goal is to have my vending machines cover my mortgage. <laughs> okay. You're almost <laughs> like there. Or... I'm almost there working okay. on it. And like, because I said, like the multifamilies, unless you put a lot of money down in New York City, uh, I mean, when I say New York City, I'm outside of New York City. So it's a little yeah. different than in like Brooklyn, Bronx, you can find cash flowing multis because the taxes are a lot lower. But I live in a county just outside of New York and okay. the taxes are astronomical. So you need to put down like 30, 40% for your multifamily to actually cash flow just to offset that huge yeah. tax bill, you know, property tax bill that there's no real work around. So I was like, okay, let me get vending machines to cover my mortgage. And like I said, you know, with other endeavors, you know, refining out of the house to buy a multi or buy like a either single, a single family rental down south or I'm looking at a few areas like upstate New York, Connecticut, to kind of make up for the fact that I couldn't use that loan to live in that area to buy a multifamily that really made sense. Okay. So, so that's one thing. And then, you know, hopefully, you know, Toro's popping off, but New York is really strict on rental cars. So Toro okay. is dead yeah, I heard in New it was, York. <laughs> it wasn't allowed in, in, in like the, the city limits or something like, is that accurate? Um, in the whole state, actually. Um, it's allowed. You just have to be a commercial established business in New York because New York has really strict um, rental car like, insurance laws. Okay. So, you know, it's not like Toro where they handle everything for you. You're kind of on your own. So you need to have a lot of licenses and commercial insurance. And, you know, Toro wants no liability if someone gets killed or, you know. So I'm, I'm still learning. That it is possible. It's just a lot harder than some other states where you just sign up on the app and go. Um, but there is higher cars, so that's the next thing okay. that I'm looking at. So okay. yeah, I got my plate full. <laughs> all right, all right. And how, like, how much time do you actually spend on the on the vending business? Um, that's a good question. So between buying product, driving locations, and filling up, I say on average for anywhere from five to eight hours a week. Okay. Um, sometimes less, sometimes more. 
Like if I'm hitting up two locations that week, it may be closer to that eight hours, you know, five, you know, five to eight hour window. There's just one location. Sometimes most of my locations are within 30 minutes driving. Okay. So, you know, I usually buy things in bulk from like BJ's, Costco, Sam's Club. So like I'll buy stuff for all my locations, store them here where I live. And then like when it's time to go to that one location, okay, let me load up. I need this much Gatorade, this much water, this much snacks. And I have credit card readers on my machines. So I know, you know, how much, you know, how much profit I was making that week. Cause I get a daily email at five in the morning says, okay, okay. this is how well the, the machines did the previous day. And with the software, you can also check like which items are low. Like, oh, I'm low on Frito-Lays. I'm low on Starburst. I'm low on okay. Snapple. So I'm not just buying things like, oh, I think I'm low on Gatorade. Then you get there. Nobody bought Gatorade. Mm-hmm. And you just got all this, you know, you guys have all this Gatorade. So, you know, and I say that because, you know, to truly make it passive, you need to have a system. You know, otherwise it's just, you know, a, a crazy, insane side hustle. So trying to systemize it so that, I can make it hands-off. The goal is also to make it completely hands-off and having things like credit card readers Perfect. is one of, when my, in my opinion, one of the honest ways to do it because it keeps track of everything about the machine, everything, oh, more so like about sales and inventory. And okay. that's what you need to hire someone to take it off your hands. Okay. Um, uh, sorry, my question just popped out of my, my head. But I know you like you have a, a course you do like consulting for folks as far as um the, the vending base. So yeah, so I do offer like one-on-one um consulting. You know, I'm still early in the game, I'm about a year and a half in. But you know, I think you know I learned a lot on my own and you know, I bought some stuff from from mentors. Like some of these people that I bought these routes for cheap. Again, when I was being greedy when others are panicking, these are established guys been in the business for 20 30 years okay. so I was able to pick their brains a little bit okay so that helped me incrementally you know get ahead of the game instead of just some guy like just trying to figure it out like oh, okay i learned this 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 from this person and this 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 from this person so now i just kind of bundling some of that knowledge so i offer you know one-on-one consultation i have a, a dollar ebook how to get started in vending you know it's not a complete nuts to bolts but it's enough to get someone started within 30 days and it, yeah, it, it, it takes a, a lot less it's just a dollar, you know, and some people were like, oh, you know, because I was making it for free. And then I was like, oh, okay, you know, it is valuable. So it's like, okay, I'll just put a dollar on. I'm not trying to get rich off, but, you know, just trying to tell people, you know, you don't need to get an LLC started the business. You don't need to get all these things. You don't even need a credit card read. It helps. Uh-huh. You know, just get them, get a location, get a machine. And just get, just get started. Just get started. So my lesson, if you could just leave, have like one tip for somebody starting in the business, vending business, what would it be? Find a good location. Okay. And if you're looking at a location, you want it to be busy. So think places where people spend a lot of time waiting. Okay. A laundromat, hospital, repair shops, uh, hotels. Those are your money makers. Okay. People just wait in line. Just think of anywhere you're at, DMV, anything where you're just okay. waiting in line, like, yo, this place sucks. People are going to get up. They're going to get hungry, need thirsty. They're going to put money. You think, who uses vending machines? Trust me. It's, it's, it's like a $9 billion industry in the United States. It's only growing as yeah. automation takes over because, you know, credit card readers, some of them just do credit card taps. Some of them accept Bitcoin. Like, okay. it's only this... And, and people think of it just snacks and drinks, but it's a lot more than that. So you got to open your mind first and okay. think, where do people congregate? And that's going to lead you 
in the vending journey. Okay. So I'll put a link in my um, bio on YouTube or the podcast, wherever you're watching this, um, so you can kind of, you know, tap into those resources that uh, he has. But where can folks find you at? So I'm primarily on Instagram. I am on Twitter too, but just look up Dr. Dean. And um, yeah, get to connect with me, DM me questions anytime, sign up for a one-on-one, whether it be, you know, vending, real estate, you know, even physical therapy. You know, people think, are you still a physical therapist? Yes, I am. I just don't talk about it. Right. <laughs> talk about more entrepreneurship, but you know, I, I talk about that too. So um, yeah, just find me on Instagram, Dr. Dean. Oh, so another question I was going to ask you, I forgot, <laughs> lost my mind. Did you use any of the any of the profits from the vending? Did, did that help with your down payment at all? As far as like any of the any of your business stuff? No, actually, okay. because at the time, you know, my vending business was just getting started. I was reinvesting a lot to getting more machines. Okay. So you know, I had a few other creative means for a down payment. Um, like last year, because of the. Uh, because the pandemic, we were able to use like our 401k, you know, okay. you were able to withdraw our 401k, use a down payment. You know, I use something called an HSA. I'm not sure if some people are familiar with the health savings account and just my own savings as a down payment for this house. Okay. okay. So I got real creative, real, real creative from the financing to <laughs> the down payment. And then, you know, just two or three K in itself is just unique, but best loan out there for sure. Okay, cool. Um, so I think that's that's all we got. I appreciate your time. Like I said, I, I learned a lot because I've been in the business for six years and I've never done an FHA 2 or 3K loan. I've heard about it. I've heard people talk about it. So that was good to kind of get in the dive a little bit deeper into the program. So um, thank you all for tuning in to the House Rips Podcast. No outro. We are done. Peace.